Our commander leaves misfits have merit, so we keep busy. I'm surprised you call yourself a misfit, Emperor. The freaks are more fun. Hello and welcome to Rediscovery, the Star Trek recap podcast that knows only in the future will man bonds be sexy. I am joined as always by my science officer, Ben McKenzie. How are you, Ben? I am disappointed I don't have a man bun. Oh, <laughs> you've got time, you've got time. And I need to grow my beard bigger, clearly. Oh, yes. <laughs> this week's episode, a rather blunt Swiss army knife of exposition and recap, Point of Light picks up many threads left over from Season 1 and progresses the Spock slash Red Angel plotline, but also we finally get an answer for Tilly's ghost. In the episode opener, we meet Laurel and Tyvok on Kronos, where tensions with the Klingon houses over her chancellorship have reached boiling point. Cut to the discovery, Michael's parent, Amanda, arrives on Sarek's ship with disturbing news. She has tried to make contact with Spock and tried to find out about his condition, his location, but has been blocked at every step. Amanda steals his medical file and begs Michael to help her break into it. They both take the file to Captain Pike for permission, leading Pike to contact the head of the psychiatric facility to find out what is going on. Spock has reportedly killed three of his doctors, escaped, and has been diagnosed with quote-unquote extreme empathy deficiency. Amanda, Michael, and Pike do not believe this for a second, and Pike gives permission to break into Spock's file. During the transfer, several images of the Red Angel appear in drawings Spock has made. Amanda is distraught, relaying to Michael that Spock saw this Red Angel once as a child, the angel giving Spock the location where Michael was hiding after the Learning Center bombings on Vulcan. Michael shares with Amanda that she feared for her family's safety after this and hurt Spock irreparably on purpose so that he would not continue to try to protect her. Meanwhile, on Kronos, we discover that Laurel got pregnant to Vok before he was merged with Tyler, having the baby gestated ex-Uteru as this was a massive liability. She has never met the baby and presumably has no interest until Tyvok's discovery and they go to meet the baby together. They arrive to Laurel's uncle murdered and a very empty goth space crew. The baby's been kidnapped by House Kor and is being held for ransom for the kingdom. Give up the chancellorship and keep your family or you will die. Just as it was finito time for Laurel and Tyvok, a hooded figure bursts through the door and kills everyone. Surprising no one who's seen the credits, it's Evil Giorgio, now working for Starfleet's Black Ops Department, Section 31. The last thing they want is another war with an unstable Klingon empire, and to that end, Giorgio has a plan for Laurel. Back on Discovery, Tilly's ghost May is so insistent that Pike is not the captain during a command training exercise on the bridge that Tilly shouts at May to shut up, surprising the bridge crew and appearing unstable. She then retreats back to her room, convinced she'll be kicked out of the program. Michael, desperate for a distraction from her own problems after Amanda has left to go help Spock, helps Tilly figure out May is probably related to the spores, and with Stamets and Saru's help, they find that indeed a spore from the mirror universe has infected her body. Stamets uses the dark matter asteroid to suck it out of her, where it becomes a floating blob of matter they contain in a force field, but not before May identifies Stamets as the captain she was looking for. Back on Kronos, Laurel channels a Vita and makes a passionate speech to the Klingon people, painting Tyvok as a traitor. 
She tosses Tyvok and the baby's heads into a pit, vowing to never have another child, but instead to rule the Empire not as its Chancellor, but as its mother. On an advanced Starfleet stealth ship, we find Giorgio and Ashfok and Baby, whose heads were fake. The Baby is sent to a Klingon monastery, and Tyler more or less press-ganged to join Giorgio in Section 31. Like, there, I, look, again, there was a lot going on in this episode. I don't think there's ever not a lot going on, but whether it's good quality is a different story. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting a vibe that you didn't like this one as much. There was a lot to like, but there was also a lot that I really did not like. Okay. So how do we want to demarcate it? Well, let's, let's talk about the different threads of the plot. Okay. We spend a lot of time on Kronos. Yeah, we do. Which just seems like such a miserable place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it, it does seem quite. It's got more goth than I remember. Yeah, I agree. It's they like, were more like space Vikings in it's, next it's gen. Fire and ice and ash and yeah, yeah. But it makes sense. I mean, sure. it was never a pleasant place. No, of course not. <laughs> I mean, you don't evolve like backup organs if you live on a <laughs> verdant field world, do you? No. Um, yeah. Or the ability to uh, have ex utero babies. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. All right. So we'll talk about Laurel and Vok. It's nice to see them back. It is nice to see them back. Can we just get out of the way that I was right about Klingon hair? Yes. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Let's not. No, don't dismiss it so quickly. Glory in it a little bit longer. Oh, uh, but I've, I've seen a lot on internet that they're just like, oh, they're just covering up their mistakes because everybody railed against how bad the Klingons looked. But I don't know. I feel like it could have been purposeful. Look, they still look largely the same. Yeah. I mean, uh, slightly different, but, you know. Yeah, the difference is not that big. There's I- some pretty sick Mr. T mohawks in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're all just... I mean, and I like that because they were... Every time you see uh, a, a species on Star Trek and they all look pretty much the same except for the actor's face under the makeup. Sure. You just think, uh, humans aren't like that. Right. <laughs> right? So, I, I like Two that arms, two legs. They have different coloured hair. They have different styles of hair. They have different skin colours and weird bumps on their heads mm. and... Um, yeah, and I, I'm cool with it. Like, reinterpret it however you want. I, I think... But don't you feel like they were kind of gross caricatures of everything the worst that Klingons can be? Or is this just like the unstable post-war Klingon environment? Or is it a Klingon environment under a female leader? Uh, I think it was. It would have been too easy to say it's all neatly wrapped up now that Laurel's sure. in charge. I mean, she bu- does take control of the empire it's by a hostile holding, takeover yeah yeah she holds all the other houses to ransom it's <laughs> yeah. like let me be leader and unite under me or i will blow up the whole planet yeah like that was never going to be a happy stable ending that but just... i feel like it would have should have given them all a boner like they would have just loved that oh well you they know? did that's why yeah, they that's agreed, why they agreed to it. it yeah but that doesn't mean you know there aren't houses who are like we well, should still be in charge and there's always that jockeying for position and of course who's going to be head you know wherever yeah can i just like the gender politics of this was messed up sure yeah so we're talking about this is like what 200 years in the future yes right and so we're still having women in power having issues about you know having their children cared for whilst they're working yeah there were so many clumsy it just felt like a 75 year old man was (laughs) ordered to write in some feminist content into the structure that he had made sure you know yeah no look i get that i think I mean, there's definitely a reason why they've done it with the Klingons rather than anyone else, because Klingons are never depicted as being particularly gender progressive. Sure. Like, even in the next-gen era, all the important Klingon characters are, are dudes. 
Mm. Uh, and if they're not, then they're... I mean, they they pay this sort of lip service that... I mean, Bolana talks about on Voyager having all the same kind of issues that, say, Worf does. But, I mean, she's also got that extra dimension of only being half Klingon. Sure. But then all of the Klingon women that you see, well, there's not that many of them to start with. And, they're, they're, and yeah, they're always operating in the shadows or they're behind the houses. They're not leaders of houses. Well, and that's the other thing. Like, I think I've only seen one barely other female Klingon in the background in all mm. of these scenes. Well, there's, yeah. And, I mean, there's the... um. In Next Gen, there's the sisters who then get blown up in Star oh, yeah, Trek I love Generations. The they're pretty great, but at yeah. the same time, <laughs> like they're it, you know. Yeah. So yeah, look, I I agree with you that the politics of this are not great, but I also think like if they're making it consistent with Klingons, then they needed to work harder to make it better. It just felt shoehorned in. It could have not been there, and it, everything would have been fine. Yeah, that's true. That's you know, true. like no comment. Mm. So there was that 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 I found. These were these were ultimately the things I found disappointing. Something that I did find very interesting that has not been explored enough, but it is in the realms of religion, science, so sci-fi stuff. Is you know the consent issues with Vok and Ty- Vok Tyler, yeah, yeah, and how he's talking about you know how you know basically he feels violated or raped by Laurel and they're sort of negotiating and that feels to me in that spectrum of genetic manipulation not people not really understanding the consequences of that so yeah. i find and also like stockholm syndrome so i find that quite deep but it wasn't very explored yeah i quite enjoyed how he basically gives like a five second recap of what happened to him (laughs) which i think is good because it is one of the least clear parts of the plot of season one sure where he says you know i am a klingon but i've been surgically altered to appear human and then i had this human psyche grafted onto mine and then you've had to destroy my personality so i've got access to and he still he mentions he's got access to all of his memories Mm. but he doesn't have the personality anymore the personality is gone and I think really he should be a new person. Like I think they've missed an opportunity of of integrating him as a as a new character by changing his personality more significantly. Whereas really they're presenting him as no, it's Ash Tyler. It's just that now he's Ash Tyler who knows he used to be a Klingon. But well, we don't really know that because we don't really know him before I guess what that's happened true. to him. Yeah. So this is whatever the result is. Yeah, because he's not. I mean, he was never Ash Tyler. He's he's a Ash Tyler. Was As we know, person him. Yeah. who was killed, and his but his brain was scanned, and that mm. was put into his head somehow. They mm. never really, they never really addressed that. I mean, wouldn't it be great if he turned up and he wasn't dead? No, it would be awful. That's not- <laughs> he wouldn't have. I don't. I don't even know what's going to happen there. No, if that, yeah, I don't if that know. was a possibility. But I got to say, he's got some style going on. Oh my god! He's got the big beard. He's Stop. got. A, he's got a cape. Stop. He's got leather outfit. It's out of control. It's. He looks like he's playing a goth bard in a game of Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> I was really into it. I thought it was cool. Yeah, he looks great, but I just can't help. I can't help but feel so sad for this character. Yeah. And now he's going. He's in Section Thirty One because he ha- he just doesn't fit in anywhere. He's got nowhere else to go. And presumably, so now he's like transferring his Stockholm syndrome to there. Yeah. And and now he's just going to be like part of this amoral organization, presumably being made to kill people or go on like dark missions or who knows what they're going to use him for. They just see him as an asset. Yeah, I guess he's their Klingon specialist. Yeah, uh, maybe maybe he's just going to be a desk 
desk no. bound. <laughs> well, I mean, he kicks some ass in this episode. I mean, yeah. yeah, he and Laurel get beaten, but they're heavily outnumbered and they take down a lot of those Klingons. So he's clearly got all Vox fighting skills still. And I mean, body and strength. In there. Yeah. yeah, he's got the strength of a Klingon. They're stronger than humans. So mm. he's, yeah, he's a, he's a pretty valuable asset to somewhere like Section 31. Although, again, he, also he's pretty recognisable. <laughs> like, surely everybody in the Federation knows his deal. Like, They'll probably just manipulate him to be a sleeper agent again, but for them, back mm. into the Federation. Oh, that'd be, that'd be rough. Who knows? Who knows? We'll, we'll find out. We'll find out. So, mother, quote unquote, if I'm generous with that, I would say that that is a deliberate shitting on a homosocial society and making them be ruled by a feminized, titled person. Yeah. Is that how you will take that? I wasn't quite sure what to do with it at the end there because it always seemed weird that they called – it's an empire. Why isn't their leader called the emperor or the empress? Like, mm. why is it the chancellor? I don't know. <laughs> oh, wait, no, that's a whole – that's a Kalos thing, isn't it? Because he's the emperor. I, look, I, I think there is actually a law reason for that now that I've said that out loud. But, yeah, it, it was a bit full on. Um, and also, quite in its way, quite condescending, but – I think that was the intent. It's like yeah, you're like squabbling children. Yeah. So I'm going to be your mother and tell you to cut it out. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see how that resolves, I guess. So that's them. Oh, but also the baby. Does yeah. a Luke Skywalker adopt him out? Nothing's going to happen with him, surely. Because like he can't, unless we jump forward 18 years, he's not going to be old enough to do anything. No, but maybe that is a great tangent into my theory of what's going on oh okay well actually and having said that there is also precedent for this because Worf's son comes back in time from the future to teach himself how to be a proper <laughs> Klingon and avert like a disaster or something yeah like so Alexander well, there's also, can do that then well there's also chatter on the internet that I haven't gotten that far into Deep Space Nine I'm only on season three but okay. later on there is an albino Klingon, and they think that this person could be him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or his descendant. Maybe. His descendant. Him or his descendant. Because it's, yeah, it's 100 so far years into later. the future. I just, oh, well, no, yeah, he could totally be him because mm. we uh, there are other Klingons that live from this era and are still around in the Deep Space Nine era. Right. Um, so, yeah, like Kang. <laughs> Such a good space name. Yeah. Even though in the, in the old school series he looks like a human with a... With a goatee tw- and a bit eyebrows, of, a bit of, but you know the modern Klingons—they look great. I agree. I think they look good. I'm glad the hair's back. Uh, I am too. And I really liked how the face paint became such a clever plot point. I really, was, I, I thought was that was that. so stupid. Yeah. No, you didn't like that. <laughs> no. Okay. Tell me what. You just thought it was cool tech. I thought it was cool, and I thought it was nice because I didn't see that coming. Like, yeah, it's like, no, that's how true. Did they know he was here, and then he's like, "I put micro." probes in the face paint that you wiped off my face and i'm like oh that's cool <laughs> like this guy you know i just like i really love a good competent villain and i thought that was a nice that's a clever plan that's competent true villain moment so yeah. i enjoyed that yeah. and it, he's just ready for anyone to try to wipe off his you know his face paint well, i think he specifically did it because he knew it would insult the emperor and that she would get him or her, one of her lackeys to do it. Because he did, He does say, like, I was only intending to sort of listen in on your plans. Mm. I didn't think I'd find out about your secret baby. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, my God. I know. But, yeah, I do. And I said this during the intro, but I kind of wish that they hadn't put uh, Michelle Yeoh in the credits 
so prominently. I didn't even know. So this is like this is a thing. This is the first episode where I really was really quite disappointed in this episode. I, I didn't mm. like most of it, but I think it's the first time where it's like if I hadn't have known so much, I would have had that amazing shock moment. But then, yeah, as um, one of our listeners said in the comments that it was in the credits, I always skip credits. Okay. That was probably wise. I mean, this is the, you don't often get spoiled by a special guest star announcement, like, because usually they don't put it in there if the special guest star is supposed to be a surprise. But I guess if it's Michelle Yeoh, she's got to have high billing. So then if you saw that name and then there's a character that's killing everyone, of course, you're just going to immediately yeah. think it's her. But well, then you're not necessarily going to understand that she's a part of Section 31. No. Um, I mean. That would have been a good reveal. I kind of guessed, but because we know that from the. It's, it's one of those things where it's not a surprise because of the knowledge you have in the sort of hype around the show and the announcement of the other show that she's going to be in but at the same time i was still like super into it like she showed up like the freaking predator i know just blowing people up with like a shoulder mounted plasma i know and what was that tech that was covering her face making her look like a different alien big yeah and the big cool like hood thing that she was wearing yeah it was awesome yeah yeah i was super into it yeah it's great. Can I tell you my theory of what I think this all means? Okay. Like all of it. The Klingon I, stuff or the, you, are we going on to the Red, Red Angel? Red Angel. Okay. Potentially also, you know, implications for everything. Sure. Right. Yeah. Is that in Star Trek, usually things like this is one of two things. It is a temporal timeline. Mm-hmm. So we're having interference from the future by Starfleet. In, uh, inserting themselves into situations or getting things to happen right. to preserve a timeline or rectify a timeline. Yep. Or we've had a cue, and a cue which is a being mostly from next gen. Mm-hmm. They're, they're basically like supernatural beings. They're gods, yeah. Yeah, they're gods. Um, who make a lot of mischief, but they couldn't, they didn't even, they don't care about humans at all. So that's why I've been always kind of like, it's not a cue. Why would they care? But right. if they're invested in it, then they would care. So they're the two things that I have as possible explanations as to what is going on. Because this whole thing with Spock saving Michael, that's a real manipulation of a pawn in a chess game kind of thing, mm, you know? Yeah. So that got my antenna up. What do you think? It makes sense. I mean, it, they, the Red Angels don't need to be time travelers because we've already established that they've been around for like 200 years. Like they saved people from World War Three. Right. But that, but yeah, there's no sign as to why they would do that. Right. Or what they want. I mean, I get the feeling. My, my feeling was that so far up until now, they'd just been sort of getting the Discovery crew to clean up after their messes. Ah. You know, like because you've got this crash spaceship on the asteroid um, which is their asteroid that's going to crash into a thing, so it's kind of their fault. Um, at least I, that's, you could read it that way. And then there's like, oh, yeah, and also there's these humans that we saved from World War Three. We put them on this planet. They've just been living there happily, but there's about to be this radiation. Can you sort that out for us? And so I was like, oh, maybe that's their deal. Like, they're just fixing things that they've screwed up through their meddling. But now, I'm yeah, I'm thinking maybe I like your idea. I don't know whether they're time travelers or... Or what? I mean, I hope it's something more complicated than that because there's so many instances, and as they flagged in last episode, there's so many instances of creatures that have such immense power that they may as well be gods mm. in the Star Trek universe. Like, it's ridiculous how many there are. Right. Um, and 
I hope that there's something else going on with the Red Angels. Like, they clearly have that level of power, but are they entities themselves? Are they working with someone? I mean, what if it turns out, like, there's only one Red Angel and it's, it is it is Spock and, like, he's going through his own timeline? I don't know. It's weird. So, yeah, I think your theories are good because my theory, I think, is, is kind of rubbish. It doesn't make any sense in the, <laughs> in the light of why would they save... Michael, like, it's motivation. That's the key. Like, the, yeah, we've why had, are they doing these yeah, things? Yeah, yeah, because we we've had several examples, like many, many, many of beings that have this kind of power. But it's like, why would they care? And they don't usually show up and be helpful. Exactly. They're usually very selfish, and it's 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 always an allegory for with great power comes great responsibility, and also ultimate power corrupts ultimately, or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> uh, you know, so it's the squire of Gothos and. Q and all these other entities or, or humans who are given this kind of power, they always go a bit off the rails and then have to be reined in. Sure. Or they are making a very definite point of saying, I don't want this power. I would misuse it. Mm. And so these angels are something else, mm. hopefully. Mm. Mm. We haven't really talked about apparent killer Spock. Oh, this is oh, – I'm worried about this. I'm, worried. I'm really worried. I feel like he is being held somewhere by somebody and this so. is all lies it's- and they're like – milking inf- information or powers or something. Yeah, somebody knows what's going on. Mm. Somebody knows more than they're letting on. I mean, because I, I, I did like that Amanda and Michael and Pike were all like, no way did he kill a bunch of people and run off. Like, mm. that is no way. Like, there's no way that would happen. Or without cause, you know. Yeah, unless he was, like, they were attacking him. Like, mm. I, it's disappointing to see Starfleet in the future, like, going, yes, he has a mental illness, he's a psychotic, he kills people. You're like, that's not how mental illnesses work. Right, and that it's the mother blaming herself as well for not giving him enough love. Oh. Like, it's so gross. Yeah, I mean, there's that... It's, there's a, it's contextualized things. in volcanism, but, you know, it's like still at the same time. Yeah. And he, I mean, Spock, there's moments in the original series where Spock kind of struggles with that dichotomy within himself, mm. but he largely really embraces the Vulcan identity and the Vulcan way of life. He, he holds to it. He, he could reject it. And he's certainly done other things that have pissed off his parents, you know, <laughs> like not going to the Vulcan Science Academy. Um but I just, yeah, I don't know. This this extra backstory for him, you don't really find out much about what his childhood was like in any of the other shows. Oh, there's an episode of the animated series, apparently, where you meet young Spock. But I don't know if we really consider that to be proper part <laughs> of the story. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I just don't know how I feel about it. And there, was that, about him. and there was that comment from Michael to say that he was my shadow. So this has all been painted as like he was challenged by this new child coming into the environment, but then later... Um, overprotective. Overprotective. Is that enough for Spock? We don't know enough. Yeah, we don't know what's going on. It's, it's, he's, he's, a very, he's a shadow in this yes. because we don't see him. We don't know what's going on with him. And every time we find out something new, things are worse. You know? I have the feeling that Tyler is going to be able to help Michael the most with this. Mm. With finding out where he is, or well, may, I mean, the, the obvious sort of thing is if somebody's got him and he's been abducted from a federation, it's section thirty-one. Yes, that's somewhere. exactly what I'm thinking. And so maybe next episode, that's what we discover. I don't know. And then we've got Tilly's ghost, May. fungal space fungal poisoning. Yeah, I loved this. It was great. This is my favorite part of the episode. I mean, I, I think I liked this episode overall more than you, but I. I agree with you. This is the best storyline of the whole episode. 
Because I, I, I remember last time I was talking about how I liked that everybody was trusting each other and revealing their problems. Mm. And then this episode begins with Tilly, like, not telling anyone about this woman who's dead that she can see who's talking to her. Mm. And I'm like, why haven't you told anybody? Yeah. And I think she they do justify it pretty well. She's like, no, I'm in the command training program. I can't go to medical and tell them I'm seeing things like they'll – and I'm like – but you, but that's you, not another feather in the cap of mental illness in the future. No, and also <laughs> you're on a Star Trek show. You know that weird shit like this is real, <laughs> right? Like, you should be trying to figure it out with your brain and your friends. Uh, and eventually, she does, of course, come clean to them, and they're like, "Of course, yeah, come on, let's go." But not before she shouts at Captain Pike. Oh, I felt for her in that moment. I know, and he was just glorious as usual, stealing every scene that he's in. Oh yeah. Oh, when he suggests, oh, why don't we just marry some people who aren't that crazy about each other? You're like, oh, I know you don't mean that. It's so delightful. But yeah. you've touched on what I wanted to talk about with this because um, very much like in Voyager, by, by Voyager time, this entity, I mean, this entity is persistent. It's talking, quote unquote, talking to Tilly, yeah. but they're perceiving that as her commandeering her neural network to create hallucinations. But this entity was like very insistent in the end of trying to tell her something and then they just kill it. They capture it. Mm. By Voyager time, that would have been considered a first contact opportunity. Yeah. And they would not have, they would have explored it. As long as it's not, you know, going to hurt the human, mm. they would have explored that as much as possible. But now they've just captured this thing. And yeah. Tilly, it's, it's interesting because Tilly is so angry with May. She's really like, you're messing up my opportunity. And it seems for superficial reasons. But also, there's that element of, you lied to me. And she's freaked out because. You are using the memory of a friend sure. who I have not seen in a long time and who has been dead and I didn't even know. And, like, that is that is a shock. And I mm. can understand her anger and resentment because it's like you could have told me who you were. Mm. You could have said, hi, I'm not a real person. You could have, And you could have appeared, presumably, as anything you wanted. So why are you here as this person who's dead, who's from my past, and lying to me and presenting yourself as a real person? And then, you because know, they have an important message about the network that they've got to tell Tilly, and they killed true. it. But they don't. But she doesn't tell her. I mean, this is the other thing: is that May is not very good at conveying this message. No. Like she's been talking to Tilly this whole time, and all she's just like, "We have to talk to the captain." And it's like, why don't you just tell Tilly what the message is? The captain can't see you. <laughs> yeah. Again, her frustration is so, I think, justified by the way that May doesn't communicate what it is that she wants when she is quite, you know. Um, Eloquent. Articulate. Yeah. And so why doesn't she just come out and say it? Instead, she's like, I only talk to the captain. He's short. Like, she can she can say all these things but can't actually. Because is it a message from you? Ooh. Well, it could be. I mean, I it's the fact that it's a spore from the mirror universe is quite worrying because maybe yes. the mirror universe spores are evil in some way. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But I was just like, first of all, as a human, I'd be like, oh, my God, I have a parasite in me. Get it the fuck out of me. Yes, yes. But then at the same time, like she's mega science and she'd be like, can't we study it? What is it doing to me? I just found this all very rushed. Yeah. And it's going to bite them in the ass. That's my prediction. Well, I mean, they haven't killed it. They sort of expelled it from her body. Mm. Um, and it seems a bit angry, but hopefully now, maybe now they can talk to it. Maybe. I don't know. I we'll hope see. so. I hope they try. Yeah. Uh, I am glad that we now know there's definitely no weird incestual 
stuff going on. Yes. Well, not really. Oh, you think maybe that's the thing that she did I to think push him away? Yeah, maybe. It was like, like pretend that she was interested or something. Or tried to have some kind of physical intimacy with mm. him. But I think that there's a lot in that contextualization that Amanda does about intimacy mm. and talking about how she was never physically affectionate. I don't know. That's, that feels contextualized. So I feel like, yes, potentially that's off the table, but mm. I'm still got a question mark. Yeah. All right. Shall we short chat? I think we will. Now it's time for Rediscovery Short Chats, where we talk news, trivia, and anything related to Discovery or the Star Trek universe. We will also be taking questions during this segment from you, the listener. So please follow our socials to be in touch. What do you want to talk about today, Ben? Well, we actually do have a couple of questions from listeners, which is fantastic. So uh, I think we should talk about those from Darren Luchner via email. Thank you, Darren, for sending it in. Um, you mentioned on recap of the first episode that you like the mix of aliens on board and females on board Discovery. I totally agree. However, the humans all seem to be American. I would like to have seen a mix of Earth cultures. Surely all Trek series set in the original universe should have a grumpy Scotsman. <laughs> uh, I, and I, everything should have a grumpy Scotsman. Well, they just make everything better, don't yeah. they? I mean, Harry <laughs> Potter is immensely improved <laughs> by having a McGonagall on hand. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I, this was something that I kind of had in the back of my head because yeah, mm. all the human crew of Discovery, they're all Americans and this is pretty rare on Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, in the original series, they made a big deal out of showing that Earth was a united culture by having all of the human crew be from all these different countries and have different accents. Mm. Uh, then on, you know, like next gen, Picard is French, but he sounds English. Yes. Uh, and... And that's pretty much it, actually. Pretty much the entire rest of the human crew are all from America. Sure. uh, Or at least have American accents. Um, And on Voyager, they're mostly American, actually. But then you have Chakotay, who is Native Native American. American. uh, And Bolana Torres, who it's never really – they don't really go into it. She's kind of like Latina, but American. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's not – since the original series, they've not gone out of their way to include lots of non-American Well, we had Miles on – Oh, true. We had Miles on TNG and then also on he went yeah. to Discovery. And Julian I mean, Bashir. Yeah, and Julian Bashir. Is not. He's on Deep Space Nine. He's English, but with like an Indian or Sri Lankan heritage. They never go into exact detail about what his, you know, ethnic background is. But and they're from England, mm. it seems. But then they moved around on Earth quite a bit. Well, who so. knows what they, that means in the future though, yeah. you know. Yeah, I we don't... do have we do have Jojo, who has grown up in Malaysia. Mm, okay, that's um, true. But so, she's not on the crew, so no, to speak. She's, she's dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so they killed the only yes, one. Yes. Well, we don't know where the Terran Giorgio grew up. Yeah. So I, I would love it if you know if they introduce any new human characters that if they weren't from America. Yeah, and the irony is, is that so many of the actors are British. Yeah. So there's Sarek. Uh, yeah. Jason Isaacs is British. He's a yeah. northerner. He's Shazza got a very Latif. thick accent. Yeah, Shazza Latif. Yeah. Anyway, so I think that was a great point. Thank you for that, Darren. And uh, I agree. We'd love to see some non-American characters on Discovery. And shout out to Keith Gowsell. Hello. We love our chats with you. Do we have any other questions? We did have one more. Um, Dan, Destructor on Twitter. Thank you, Dan. Um, who did send a couple of questions last time that we kind of covered in the discussion, so we didn't mm. end up explicitly addressing them. Asked, was it me or was that blood undisco pink? 
Right. And I I am interested in this because I was keeping an eye on that scene and I was trying to when once there was blood flying around, I kind of assumed that you know, it was going to be pink because that's what colour Klingon blood is. Right. And I think it kind of was. Yeah, because did you notice it splatter on the camera? I did not until you pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. Now you won't be able to unsee it. No, I can't unsee it. I've passed it. the gift to you. Ah, oh, this is the worst. <laughs> um, yeah, so it has been colour matched. Mm. So it's not weird, I don't think. Yeah. So I, and that's that's a nice little bit of continuity. But also it's and this is not a discovery problem. This is this is my disappointment with all of Star Trek, is because the aliens are always like a human but with weird face. Um they anything they can do to differentiate them, I'm keen for, you know? And I know that there's an in universe explanation for that, but I still am vastly disappointed that we almost never meet intelligent species that don't seem to be just more humanoids. Right. Um and I understand that's budget reasons and stuff before. <laughs> But, but I, yeah, so anything that differentiates them further, I am a big fan of. All right, I've got a couple of things. Did we all clock Pike calling a Washakun Owo? Oh, I did not clock that. <laughs> so, hashtag Owo. Uh-huh. What about Cybok? Oh, yeah, I wondered if we'd bring him up. Yeah. So, Cybok, for those who don't know, is also the other brother in this situation. Cybok rejected logic later in life and hmm. was excommunicated essentially from Vulcan, the Vulcans and the family. And he's uh, Spock's half brother. That's right. Whose mother is another Vulcan. Yeah. Before Amanda, right? Before because Amanda. she died. Yeah. Yeah. So she, so Cyborg is Spock's older brother. Hmm. So we're, what are we thinking? He's already rejected logic at this point and there's only quote unquote, the four of them as Amanda said. Yeah. Well, he's old and, he, it's never clear how old he is. It's it's further compounded by the fact that, from memory, the actor who played him in Star Trek V uh, is actually younger than Leonard Nimoy, which makes it very <laughs> difficult to figure out how old he's supposed to be. But also maybe he just seems younger because he's not always frowning seriously like all other Vulcans. Um, so, yeah. That's but- okay because Rose was two years younger than B. Arthur in The Golden Girls. So, you know, not Rose. Um What's her name? Oh, the mother. Yeah, the mother. Oh, are you serious? Estelle Getty. You... Yeah, she was two years younger than B. Arthur. Yeah, they had to they put her in like old, old makeup. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Um, but look, yeah, I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know. Is he going to turn up? It seems difficult to have a discussion about weird secret siblings of Spock and Agreed. never mention it. Like, not even at least vaguely mention it. Although, having said that, if there's anyone who could keep a secret and never bring it up, it's going to be Sarek <laughs> because he's clearly done that for multiple things. Sarek is a douche. I'm sorry. And how is he a diplomat? <laughs> Maybe it's like chefs don't cook at home. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, he doesn't really intervene very well. I mean, those those scenes in the last episode of him talking to Spock and telling him what to do were not, yeah, not very diplomatic. No. He's much more of a douche in the original series. Okay. Like when, when Spock finally sees him for the first time in 18 years, he's just a, what a dingus. Like, okay. Seriously. He just, it's, it's, he's given Spock the silent treatment quite literally and it just goes to great lengths to avoid speaking to him or even about him. Uh, and you're like, that's not very logical, Sarek. I know, it's so drama. Oh, uh, yeah. 
Yeah. And then Amanda's like, oh, why did I marry a Vulcan? And they have this cute little, like, they hold their fingers instead of holding hands. (laughs) It's it's very weird. I have to admit, like, seeing Amanda in this episode and everything that she's going through, I'm like, why? What's in it for you, Amanda? Yeah. I mean, look, I like Sarek in this for the most part, but it's the backstory parts of him where I'm like, why did you do that? Yeah. Uh, Yeah. So, that's, that's a fair point. I don't think I have anything else except this Andrew Colville who wrote this episode was on in the writer's room for Mad Men. I know definitely season three, but I'm not sure how many seasons. He's a well-respected writer, but it was just, I don't know whether it was the direction that the show needed to go in, but this this episode really didn't land for me. Like I think it did, I called it a Swiss army knife. So I think it did a good job in terms of, you know, bringing everything together. But these first three episodes are so different from each other Mm. that I'm really hoping that now everyone's caught up, we've got a path that we're going down, and from, like, episode four onwards we're going to be moving forward, not all over the place, with a story. What do you – how do you feel? Well, I mean, I felt the first two had a pretty consistent tone for me. Like, it was – there was more adventure, there was more fun – this one's a bit back to the season one style of awful things happening all the time mm. and less being being less about mystery and more about conflict and very direct conflict. And at the same time, all of the conflict in the episode comes from existing sources. Like the Discovery doesn't go on a mission in this mm. episode. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel in two minds about it. I, I certainly liked it more than you and I, I had a good time watching it. It does feel a bit like the whole Klingon subplot, I kind of feel like... Yeah, it fell shoehorned into one episode. Yeah. Like, Look, it always was telenovela, and I think that that kept it real to what it was in the first season, so I don't sort of begrudge that. That's what Klingons are like. Yeah. <laughs> Klingon opera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they love it. Um, now, I, I wanted to briefly mention that we've both been watching some old school Star Trek. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I've really been enjoying revisiting a few episodes of the original series. I've just watched all of season one of Enterprise – with the sort of new perspective that Discovery has given me. And one of the things it made me realise is, like, this is the first time that I know of that someone has done a spin-off series that's not just a prequel or a sequel. It's set in between other existing stories. Yeah, that's a good point. So it comes after Enterprise. So you've got, like, a lot of stuff established in Enterprise about what kind of technology level the early Federation had and all that kind of stuff. But then it comes just before the original series. So it's like set roughly the same time period and a lot of the same politics, but sort of the things that lead up to that point. And someone was actually, someone on Twitter was talking about how the way that Klingons behave in the films makes a lot more sense. And even in the original series, when you now have this context of what the Klingon Federation war was like, like they nearly, like they nearly got as far as earth, like they're going to wipe it out. And it was only kind of averted by this, you know, weird, extreme dimension hopping spaceship crew that was then had to be silenced and no one was ever allowed to talk about it. Mm. So there's this really, and, and also the stakes of what that war were about for the Klingons now being established kind of feeds into what they're like as a culture and how they view the Federation in both the original series and kind of, you know, ongoing from that. So, yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying rewatching some of that stuff with a new context. 
You actually reminded me of something that I wanted to bring up, which is, you know, like right in the beginning, Takuvmara is like, yeah, here comes their lie. We come in peace. And now that we've seen, we're starting to see the, the essentially amoral behavior of Section 31. Mm. If this is what other beings that are not in line with the Federation are experiencing, then we can now understand the mistrust, aggression uh, that the Federation ships experience in the future. And it's not just xenophobia or trying to gain control or power. Um, They've got their little operatives in the background controlling or murdering or, you know. They're America. And, I mean, this is the thing that in so many of these sci-fi shows, Earth becomes like a stand-in for the United States rather than, you know, like a bunch of different nations that amalgamate and create a new culture. It's right. just like shorthand for that. Like Babylon 5 was very much like that as well. And sometimes that's what the Federation is painted as. And I think that also is why I get to make another insurrection reference because <laughs> one of the things I love so three much. Three for three. I know. One of the things I love so much about that film is it is Picard reinforcing the real values of the Federation in the face of the Federation doing something horribly unjust and ethically corrupt. Right. And saying, you know, and he's got he's got this great speech about where they're going to relocate these people because they need to use the energy on their planet. And he's like, it's only like 800 people. And because like, how many does it have to be before it's not okay? Six million? And you're like, whoa, <laughs> this is the business. And so he's like, yep, I'm disobeying orders. We're going to shoot at Federation officers. Like, this is bullshit. I'm not standing for it. Right. And it's that. That And the fact that that, you know, corruption can still exist into the future. Sure. I like that while the whole – people often bang on about how the flaw in Roddenberry's vision is that it was supposed to be so lovey-dovey and perfect, but it's always those moments where people have to hold on to those values in the face of even the institution that they're serving failing that I think reinforce it and make it so great. Yeah, Totally. And it's also a parable for us to understand that complacency creeps in wherever and whenever, no matter how far you have evolved, there will always be these um, attitudes and insurgencies coming, trying to, you know, it's just natural. People want what they don't have and it will, you know, you have to stay true to your ethics and your morals. And I think that's always the thread that runs through Star Trek. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to mention before we go, which is about Anson Mount. Oh, yes. And I'm sure you won't mind us talking no, a bit more about him. No, we can him. talk about him all you like. Because I was looking at him in this episode, I was going, he looks really familiar. I'm sure I've seen him somewhere else. And so I looked him up on the IMDb and I realized where I've seen him. And it's weird because I haven't even actually watched the show that I'm about to talk about, but I was really interested in it. He was in The Inhumans. Okay. One of the Marvel TV shows. Okay. Um, based on a fairly obscure by Marvel standards group of, they're kind of like mutants called the Inhumans, but he played the leader of this group who's called Black Bolt mm. and he wears a cool outfit okay, and he's like of course. the leader of the Inhumans. They, yeah. live, they used to live in a secret underground lair and then they moved to the moon. It's a whole Marvel comic book nonsense. But his superpower is that his words, when he speaks, his voice can just destroy things. And if he even so much as whispers, like things get... <laughs> you know, cracked in half. And if he shouts, he can like destroy a whole planet. So he never speaks and he speaks in sign language. And I was reading about this 
he invented his own sign language. Oh, wow. Because he's like, they're the Inhumans. They live on the freaking moon. He doesn't know American sign language. No. So he worked with like some sign language folks to kind of create his own signs that you could kind of follow but were not ASL. And I'm like, what a dude. That's really cool. Uh, and then the show apparently was awful and got cancelled really uh. early. But, yeah, he's the silent protagonist of this show. And he looked great in the in the outfit. That's awesome. Do you know what? Can I tell you something? Because I study psychology. Yeah. Can I tell you something really interesting? about linguistics so in cultures deaf cultures that had developed without language so there was no proper there was no language to be learned communities of deaf people created their own sign language ways of communicating and they all had natural syntax oh wow syntax is inherent to humans. Oh, yeah. You know what? I was this Stephen Pinker wrote about this. I don't know who Stephen Pinker. Uh, he's a I think I've got the name right. He he wrote a book called The Language Instinct and it's all about how humans are hardwired to learn a language. And he didn't go into I don't remember if he talks about the syntax, but yeah, he mentioned that as like one of the bits of evidence. Mm. It's like if you don't have a language, you make one up because mm-hmm. your brain is ready for it. That's right. Yeah, that's cool. That's my car. That's color science corner. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I'm going to read more about that. That's amazing. You've been listening to Rediscovery. All links to creatives are in the show notes or on our website, rediscoverypodcast.com. We'd love to connect with you. Please add us on Twitter and Facebook at Rediscovery Pod. Rediscovery is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. Find more entertainment for your ears at splendidchaps.com.